Hello everyone, um, hope you all are doing well. Uh, so for those who don't know me, my name is Mornay. Um, yeah, I'm one of the elders serving here and it's an absolute privilege to be able to share with you tonight. I'm not going to lie, I'm quite nervous. This is my first and a half one that I'm preaching tonight uh, and I would really love to come back. So please, for the recording, laugh hard, clap hands and just make it sound good. <laughs> Um, so, for just for like, a, I, I wanted like a short icebreaker. So, can everybody just stand quickly, please? Yeah. All right. Take a step to the right. Okay. Take a step to the left. Not that many of you can, but we can maybe take a step to the right again, and then one more step to the left. Okay. You can sit down. Thank you. So, seeing as though this is basically my first preach. I asked for some advice to, one of, like, to some of the great preachers, and they said, your first preach needs to move people. <laughs> so, yeah. So I got that one done already. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. So I just need to, um, these steppies are quite small, um, so I must not fall off tonight. But what I've, what I've got in my heart for us tonight um, is really just something that I believe God has placed on my heart, and it's actually something that I've been battling through this season. Uh, and it's not a battle that is lost. It's, it's actually a battle that's already won, uh, but it's, it's a battle nonetheless. Uh, and if you were to title my preach tonight, it would be Never Lose Sight. And I've been living in Cape Town for about five years now. I moved in 2018, and I became part of the Bible school in Josh Chen called TMT, and yeah, it, it was awesome. It, it was absolutely amazing. And I would be what you call a volley, okay? So for those Capetonians who don't know what a volley is, it's a transfaller, okay? Yeah, that's say. So I would be what you call a volley. And one of the things that struck me the most when I came to Cape Town is Table Mountain. Yo, I know. I mean, when you look at Table Mountain, you think, oh my hat, that is probably why they made it a wonder of the world. Like, I think it's, it's part of the wonders of the world, and many came along with it now. Um, and I actually Googled why. Why is it called a wonder of the world? And this is why. So this is, this is what Google says, and it says, The stunning flat-topped mountain is home to the widest variety of flowers and other plant life in the world and in fact contains more species of plants than that which exists in the entire British Isles. Can you believe that? So, and the British Isles include England, Ireland, Northern Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. So on t and, and they say Table Mountain isn't even the size of London, and it contains more plant life. And that's amazing. I mean, when you look at that, you, you know that is why they made it a wonder of the world. And the reason why I'm using Table Mountain as an example is that one of the things that struck me the most is that almost from everywhere in Cape Town, where you are, you can see Table Mountain. It's always in your sights. Everywhere. There's like a little glint. Or you, you can either see Lion's Head or basically everywhere, except when you go towards Bloemfontein. <laughs> um, sorry to all the Tainers here. <laughs> But it's always, always in your sights. But it becomes so easy to lose sight of Table Mountain 
once you get used to it. And I personally believe that for us, the same thing can happen with us and our relationship with God. But the amazing thing is, He's always there. He's always there. But we can't lose sight of Him. And there are a lot of factors that play to this, that play into this, but I've tried to establish two main things that I've seen in my life and with conversation with other guys, I've seen in their lives as well. And seeing as though that we're living in a society that is filled with traffic, the number one thing that causes us to lose sight of God is traffic. (laughs) So I don't know of anyone that actually likes traffic. Is there someone here that loves traffic? Okay, no, my hand is... Oh, really? Awesome. Well done. <laughs> it's actually... Okay, I want to hear why. That's cool. <laughs> um, and obviously, um, like the traffic police, because they became police for the traffic, so they like traffic as well. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, but traffic, in this case, for us, in our lives, symbolize difficult situations, difficult times. It can be hurt. It can be loss. It can be distraction or even busyness. And these things can so easily cause us to take our eyes off of God. Because, I mean, if you're in the situation, it's not nice. It's, it's so easy to forget that we need to look at the mountain, which is God. And when I look at the life of Jesus, it's, it's crazy to see the absolute confidence and peace that he had when he faced his traffic. He knew from the beginning that he was to die on a cross and he was to suffer for our sake. And on so many occasions, we read in the Gospels that he foretold his death and resurrection, but yet he never wavered and he never took his eyes off God. And there's a scripture in Luke 22, verse 41 to 42, and it says, I'll read it here as well if it's not there. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And just for us, you know, just reading that prayer of Jesus, he knew what he was facing and what he was going to face, the traffic that was coming. But he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And oftentimes in our lives, I believe God may use traffic to bring our eyes back towards him, to fix our eyes on him. Because sometimes we can move so quickly, but traffic actually slows us down. And I believe that we need to use traffic to our advantage to actually put our eyes on God. And I remember a story when I went on an outreach to Bloemfontein. You go onto the N1, it's super long. You drive almost the whole entire road is on the N1. And there was a massive accident. And we had to stop and there were helicopters and everything. It was chaos. And we stood still, like literally I took the keys out of the ignition for about three hours. That's how long they they had to clear the debris and everything. And I was the outreach leader at that time, and I got quite impatient. So that was with my less unsanctified days, um, and I was an outreach leader. 
and I got quite impatient because I was like, we need, we need, to, get to, um, we need to get to Bloemfontein for the outreach. And the rest of the people in my team casually got out the bus and ju they just started running around and they played, they kicked ball, they took photos. Some of them went into the field and chased the sheep and they actually just enjoyed time together. And I stood there and I thought, I actually missed the moment of family. I actually, for a split second, because of traffic, took my eyes off of God, off of the people that he gave um, in my life, people that were family. And another example, just using my own personal life, of, of traffic that fixed my eyes on Jesus was with my dad's death. And it wasn't so much a case of I drew closer to God. Yes, I did, definitely, because it sucks. Um, but I remember my dad died in... Uh, at the beginning of April, and at the end of that year, we had the privilege of baptizing my mother. And just in that situation, you look at that and you think, what is God busy doing? What is He writing now? And He actually used traffic to bring my mom closer to Him. So, the encouragement is that we should see the traffic in our lives not as a burden, like, oh, I'm so busy with studies, I'm so busy with things, but actually, when we go through hardships, when things are tough, ask God, how are you bringing me closer to you? Because He will, He will use it to bring you closer. All right, I'm doing right for time. <laughs> and then, the second thing is familiarity. And I lived in Edgemead for about two years, and... Uh, Basically, in Edgewood, you can see Table Mountain from everywhere. Even if you're in the shop, you can see Table Mountain through the windows. That's how amazing Edgemead is. Um, but Stellenbosch is better, just saying that, so that people don't come and hunt me down afterwards. And there's this one street in Edgemead where the lead elder stayed, Red Bevan. And as you drive towards Table Mountain, basically between two trees, there was this beautiful picture. If I were an artist, that would be like my snapshot Kodak moment there. Where Table Mountain is literally like in between these two trees. There's clouds and everything. And you think, oh my word, people live with this view. <laughs> like, how do they do that every day? And I was absolutely struck away. I was like, this is the place where I needed to be. Uh, Table Mountain is beautiful. And honestly, after about a year, I became used to Table Mountain. So I don't know, those of you who grew up in Cape Town, if it's, a, if it's a thing for you, but basically now when I drive, Table Mountain is basically just Table Mountain. It's just something. Um, and basically just the, the, the beauty and the wonder was absolutely just, it was gone. I wasn't struck away anymore until my mother came and visited. So she's also a Vali, okay, also a Transvaler. And for Transvaalers, Table Mountain is everything, okay? It's as close to microwave popcorn, okay? <laughs> and I remember my mom, she was all over Table Mountain, not, not like physically, but like taking pictures, videos, you know, that, those awkward videos that only your parents can take? She was doing that, okay? So she was taking those, those weird that she, that she saw good. 
It was almost as if she could not get enough of the sight. She could not get enough of Table Mountain. And I, and I believe for us in our walk, we can so easily become familiar with God and our relationship with Him to the point where we lose sight of Him, where He becomes just something in the distance, where we actually become bored with Him as we become familiar with Him. And for me as a Christian, one of the most challenging scriptures is in Revelation 2, verse 2 to 4. Um, and Jesus This is John's revelation, and Jesus is speaking now to the church in Ephesus, and he's saying, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but I have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you have at first. And basically, just some context is the church in Ephesus, they were enduring all these things like theological threats. They were really holding the line tightly. And then Jesus says, you've done well, but you've lost your first love. They've lost the wonder about who the theology actually is. So may we never become familiar. May we never become familiar and lose sight that he becomes a thing in the distance. So how is the great question. There should always be a practical takeaway to a good preach. I'm not saying this is a good preach, but there should always be a how. (laughs) There should always be a how. (laughs) And I believe there are two simple ways, very simple and practical ways. The first one, we need to get up close and personal with God. And the second one is we need to be in the body. We need to be in the church. So let me explain why I say we need to get up close and personal with God. So we climbed Table Mountain that same holiday that my mother came and visited. We climbed Table Mountain. And so obviously, my, we were there in our tackies. We were ready. We went to the garage. We all got our chockies and everything ready for the, for the big walk because it's quite a walk. I don't know those who of you have done Table Mountain. We did the route. It was the longest three kilometers of my life. Um, and we did it down again. So it was, it was rough. But anyway, we got there and we were on our way. We were going. We were going. We were ready. And at the end of that day, I was absolutely smashed because obviously it's up. So it's a constant, like your quads working out over time. At the end of that day, lying in my bed, I was thinking, oh my word, I have never climbed a table as steep as that. (laughs) I had a new appreciation for Table Mountain, I promise you. And the thing is, it's, it's not just about us going there and climbing Table Mountain. We were like this against the rocks and like through the trees and it was a mission, but it was nice. Um, and the thing is, the closer you are to something, the more difficult it is to lose sight of it. So we had to physically go, I had to go to Table Mountain to appreciate it. 
I had to get close to Table Mountain to appreciate it. And it's the same for us when it comes to God. The closer you are to God, the more intimate you are with Him. I promise you, the more difficult it will become to lose sight of Him. You need to get up and close personal with Him. He's there. He's available. He's waiting. And Jesus had famous words in John 50, uh, John 50, John 5, verse 90 to 20. So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. And if we look at the life of Jesus, his eyes were set on God all the time, every day, morning, night. He did not take his eyes off of God. So he said, I do what I see the Father doing. And this is a daily thing (laughs) for us. Getting close in person with God, it's a daily thing. I was chatting to someone the other day, and it's probably... The most crucial thing we as Christians need to do, but very easily neglected, is that personal time with God. And I heard someone say this the other day, that God draws His ears, or He gives His ears to those who give Him time. May we become close and personal with Him to never lose sight of Him. And then the last one. This is, this is deep. Are you guys with me? Jealous dudes, the little no pay. Cool. I could just, just knock your cup of itches and the alkaline down. The second one is through the body or the church. So, obviously, I mentioned the story now of climbing Table Mountain, and we were a group of people that did it. It was my mom, my brother in law, my sister, and myself. And it was rough. It was really, it was a team effort um, because my mom is not old. She's also not young. She's my mom, okay? <laughs> so she is mom age. If you, would, if you would call her something, she's mom age. I'm not going to disclose her age. But we had to work together. So I remember my brother-in-law, he was in front. I was at the back. So with there was quite big steps, like really massive rocks, eh? So he would pull from the front and I would push from the back (laughs) on many instances. So it was a team effort. They say teamwork makes the dream work. So we had to do it. But when my mom got to the top, she was just once again struck away because she did it together. And I think she probably that day 50 times told us if it was not for us, if, if, if it weren't for us, she wouldn't have done it. And I'm forever grateful that you could see that. And I want to draw that to the church, that you cannot draw close without the church. You will lose sight if you are not in the body, if you are not participating. The church is not a sightseeing bus. So you see all these red buses in Cape Town with the tourists and everybody taking pictures. The church is not a sightseeing bus. They say, if you need to take a picture, it'll last longer. Ah, I think it's better to experience the real thing. 
as a body, we are called to serve God faithfully together. We are not called to be tourists who just come and take a picture and then go. I believe He has called each one of us to participate. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Him by drawing into His body, by drawing into the church. All right. I probably need to land. This has gone a lot deeper than I thought. Sorry. Um, It takes one glimpse, one look to change everything. One perspective. One different thing that we see from God to fix our eyes back onto Him again. And for some of us to fix our eyes on Him for the first time. And there's an amazing story, probably one of my favorite stories, in Acts 9, verses 1 to 18. And it's about Saul, who became Paul. It's about his conversion. Put that up, and it says, But Saul, still breathing, uh, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, which is Jesus, Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, you are persecu- why are you persecuting me? And falling to the ground, oh, <laughs> I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Sorry. He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Bear with me. This is the story. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him who said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And there's just this picture for me that this murderer, this guy who was persecuting Christians, in a moment, in one moment, meeting with God, seeing Him, 
his life was changed forever. And he became Paul the Apostle. And I want to encourage us. The Bible says that in him we live and move and have our being. Not outside of him. And it's so easy. I know student life is hard. Working is tough. I've lost my sight many times. I've had to regain it on multiple occasions. But the amazing thing is that he cannot be wavered. He's always there. He's immovable. I want to encourage you guys. May you keep your eyes fixed on him. Loving him and serving him. And for some of us, maybe you are in that traffic situation where busyness, distractions, and everything around you is, has taken your sight off of God. He's there. Oh, there we go. Sorry. He's there, and He's ready for you to fix your eyes on Him, to draw back to Him. And for others, maybe, maybe we've become familiar. We've been serving the Lord for a while, and the things of Him have become mundane. Mm. I pray that He would wow you, that He would refresh you just of who He is, because He's worthy and He's good.